0: Good morning, church. Well, I have to say, after being in California, my other favorite place, I like kind of, you know, opposite cultures that's kind of come together. So it's like, you know, Houston, Texas, and California. I've just come from San Francisco there. And yeah, I just saw the most incredible move of God just in my life being over here after COVID. And it's been like filling up the tank. I feel like this kind of effervescence has returned in my heart, and you know, this message is really about kind of my this season of grief that we've all been through, and how to kind of transform that in the Holy Spirit with Jesus. So I'm going to talk about that. But before I do that, I really just enjoy getting off the plane and hearing like, "Sorry, we're invading." I'm a Texan <laughs> coming right into the like airport train in Dallas, and I was like. I love this. I like your jacket, sir, you know? (laughs) And just this kind of boldness that I feel very much at home with in the Texan kind of culture. So I'm really glad to be here. And before I also start, I wanted to just honor um, this church and honor particularly Pastors Eric and Giovanna on their anniversary, just the ways that they embraced me you know, I, I came to this church and I was going through a private battle of people attacking my book and people in my own ministry attacking me um, simply because I use the word gay <laughs> comfortably. Um, obviously I'm obviously a celibate gay Christian, like I believe in the orthodox ethic of the Bible, but that I don't think that means throwing out everything about being gay. I don't believe living in that kind of erasure of yourself is the right way to go. It's a self-denial, not a self-erasure. But Anyway, Eric and Giovanna just understood me. They just got it, and there were just so many grooves of similarity and similar values and just a deep respect for the Bible, but a deep kind of both intellectual and spiritual engagement with Jesus in that that brings you into a place where you're just living out the orthodox faith in whatever expression or tradition you're given And so thank you so much for the way you've championed me. Um, I just wanted to, yeah, honor that. And it's been a huge encouragement throughout my time going through the pandemic and lockdown and isolation um, in Oxford. So, yeah, I often thought of this church, and it buoyed me up in my harder harder moments. And so just to bring that to bear in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says... Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads, leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. I don't know if you've ever felt a sorrow in your life, and it, you felt like, how would this ever bring anything good? How could it bring salvation and leave me with no regret? I felt that myself. And yet I've seen through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I've named this message, a spirit-transformed heart, the unquenchable flame. That the Holy Spirit, as we turn towards him in repentance, can transform the worst of situations (laughs) into salvation and leave you with no regret. You can actually be rescued from the worldly sorrow that crushes you. I was in a beautiful beach in Cornwall, England, right at the heart, and I found out about a big leader in my life who'd ended up being a really evil person. I'm not gonna mention them because it's still too much for me, but they were very famous and they were meant to be someone of the gospel and it was revealed that they weren't. I also had my grandfather die. I was also isolated away from my family in Australia for two years. I was not able to just, like, hug my mother or embrace my dad or see my brother. And I was in a house where I couldn't leave, and I could only leave once a day, or one person from a house could leave once a day to get groceries for six and a half months. And... At the beginning, I was like, I'm going to be okay. We're all good. Like, we'll just get through this. And maybe, we're, we're, you know, not everyone's going to die. It's going to be all right. We'll get a vaccine. And sure enough, at the end of the six and a half months, I was white. I was dead inside. And then I found out at the end of that, just we had a little break. And then I found out about this leader failing and, you know, all, saw so all the repercussions of that and the death that sin brings. And I can't tell you how much this passage means to me, that godly sorrow can actually leave you with no regrets and lead to salvation. And in the midst of this really hard moment, um, I was at the beach, and I could feel the waves crashing. You know that sound? And pummeling the kind of sand and dredging up the kind of the shells and all the matter at the bottom of the, of the beach. And God spoke to me and he said, that's your life right now. That's your life all the time. I bring waves <laughs> of joy, waves of grief, waves of joy, waves of grief. And I've sent my spirit to help you let the wave crash through you rather than upon you. And something clicked in my head where I was like, suddenly it wasn't like, why would you allow me to suffer, God? Why is this all? And I was like, oh, (laughs) you're making me into Jesus. (laughs) He did this. He was a man acquainted with sorrows and much grief. And yet on the cross, he transformed that grief into joy. He transformed that death into life. And actually you've made me like a little Jesus. And so I was talking to Eric about this verse like last night and we went to N.T. Wright's lecture and the whole lecture was about this. <laughs> it was as if, huh, we we're worshiping the same triune God. Fancy that. And, uh, <laughs> and he talked about grief and sorrow and lament. And he said, lament is the seedbed of hope. There and in that, whew, the wave crashing over me there is this seedbed of hope being made in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And I imagine you probably can all relate to that. Maybe you weren't locked down in the way we were in England. I'm not sure how it played out in Houston, but I know God is shaking the church. I know God has allowed the church to go through some judgment, to get it to come back to the grace and love of Jesus. He's letting the waves crash and bring up all those shells and all the dark hidden things and to sanctify his church. And and it's actually the seedbed of hope. It's not a place of destruction. We don't actually have to fear because he will bring salvation through it. And I don't know if that's you this morning. You might have a huge grief in your life that feels impossible to process. And I was given a little house, a little cottage in the Cotswolds for 10 days with a cat that I could mind, and I cooked myself gorgeous meals. And You know, I had my, like, lovely little life out in the fields with the sheep and a lake that I'd swim in. It was pretty idyllic. But I was carrying all that grief. I was carrying all the grief at the fact that church was compromising on scriptural truth and turning its back on me as a celibate gay Christian and saying gay marriage is fine and the sacrifice of gay celibate Christians doesn't matter and all the faithful LGBTQI plus people that know Jesus wanna live according to his word, well, who cares about them? We just want gay marriage. So our culture will say, you're wonderful and accept us and we don't have to go through persecution. We don't have to lose our buildings and we don't have to suffer with them. We can just escape it. We can escape the grief. We can escape the difficulty. We can escape the suffering. Let's just change. Let's become liberal. Let's become more conservative. Let's not actually go the deep way of Jesus. Amen? That's what's happening. And this church stood up to that. This church said, no, we're going to go through the grief. We're going to go through the difficulty because Jesus calls us to take up our cross and carry it and follow him. Deny ourselves. And we're going to do that with those gay people who decide I actually want to follow Jesus, that precious group. And there's thousands of us who are everywhere, which is not very known yet, but it's about to change, and I'm part of that. <laughs> and I just, yeah, there's so much grief, and I want to share quickly my testimony of how I became a Christian, and it was a very intense Holy Spirit experience, and I've called this message, The Spirit Transformed Top, the Unquenchable Flame. And I think God gave me this experience because He knew I was going to go through a lot of rejection. I was going to go through a lot of sorrow. I was going to have those waves crash upon me. And if I didn't have some really demonstrable experience of His love, I probably wouldn't be able to withstand it. But because I know that 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 I know Height nor depth, angel nor demon, power, like nothing in creation can separate me. The waves can crash through me, And not upon me. And so I was at this little cottage and I had 10 days by myself. The Church of Wales changed its view on marriage, and I went on BBC One National Television in front of seven million people and defended marriage between a man and woman within the church, not to condemn other people who make a different choice, but just to say, I've made the decision to live this way, and I want the right to go to a church that supports me in that as a gay man. Why should I not have that as my gay right? Free, Free. (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm in, I'm in the house and I'm in the shower and out of nowhere, it's like <laughs> this huge wave of grief just like hits me and I'm like kind of winded and like hit in the shower and God says, let it through you, David, let it through you, David, let it through you, David, don't let, let it crash upon you, let it through you. And I learned this holy form of prayer that Paul, talk, uh, Paul talks about in Romans 8 with the groans of the spirit and I'm going to read that passage in a minute. And I was able to let it out with God. And it took me three days of snotty crying, feeling like I was going to die. <laughs> wasn't suicidal, don't worry. Feeling like I was at the end of myself and I had nothing left and everything was doomed. And it was all too much. And it was like the Holy Spirit took me by his hand and walked me through. It was like <laughs> This is like almost like giving birth, but the opposite. And Paul talks about the birth pangs of new creation. I think the birth pangs of new creation are walking through the grief with Jesus of the cross and coming out into resurrection. And being here this morning, this is a resurrection for me. After all the grief, I'm able to finally come and be here with my church family that supports me and champions me and doesn't turn its back on me in betrayal. But without the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't be possible. It says in Hebrews that Jesus offered Himself up in the Spirit. He didn't just offer Himself up and go to the cross and like, I'm gonna make an individual decision to go die for the sins of the world. Thank you very much. Do this by myself. Don't need nobody. <laughs> he's like, Oh, Holy Spirit, the flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. Oh, <laughs> he's like sweating blood. Like it's hard. And, like, my experience isn't even near Jesus's in terms of grief, but, like, I feel that death in my body. You will feel that death in your body if you follow him, but let it through you. Don't bottle it up. So what's what's the way through this? I'm going to talk about that after my personal testimony. But I think the way through it is not us. It's a person in us. It's the unquenchable flame of the Holy Spirit who's always pouring out new creation life who's always burning away the dross who's always sanctifying us and pulling us through the deathly kind of chains of this world and I actually had a vision as we were worshiping and I don't know if it's anyone in the room but I felt like God was saying for this church or maybe for someone in the room if this speaks to you that it wasn't quite clear sometimes it isn't clear for a reason <laughs> but he was like I see this person that just has all these chains of grief and death and darkness on them, and I just want to loose them free this morning. And I, I felt like it was the grief, it was the sorrow, and it was, like, choking you rather than letting you go free. And maybe it was an image of the church right now that the church is trying to, trying to run with all these chains on, you know, and try to, like, continue as if the pandemic never happened. <laughs> But God's desire is for us to be freed from those chains, for that grief to leave no regret and for salvation to come. And I want to make this service and this Eucharist communion a space where you can bring those heavy-laden griefs and you can put it into the bread and in the wine and then take it as life from Jesus and let him touch those inner places of pain that are holding you back from the Holy Spirit's power. So I talked about my story. So this is just a quick, very (laughs) quick summary. I basically was a anti-Christian atheist, gay activist. Um, After many experiences of homophobia, many experiences of Christian prejudice towards me, um, I vowed myself to be a a gay activist that would destroy the church. Um, And yet God was hounding me all my life There were so many moments of grace you can read about in the book, A War of Loves, Um, but I was so controlled by self-rejection. I had a kind of grief about being gay and how God had allowed me to have these desires, did nothing to change them, and then condemned me for that. And that controlled me, this kind of grief, this like deep angst and pain and bitterness was what drove me because And I had no way out of that self-rejection. The church just kept saying, "This is the law. This is the law. This is the law." And it's like, die, 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 law, 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 die, 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 law, die, law, die, law. (laughs) And church like binary zero one zero one zero one. Where is the Holy Spirit in that? Where is the grace of God? Where is the love of Jesus Christ that isn't like a fluffy little symbol, but is like the costly death of a person who poured himself out so that we could have the Holy Spirit living with us? Where is that gospel? And it took me a long time for ever a Christian to share that with me. So I had an, an, un, an uncle who was a lawyer, quite conservative type. My aunt was like the Pentecostal prophesying speaking in tongues person, and he was the more like, I'm gonna read some apologetics. (laughs) We're just gonna cool this down for a moment. (laughs) I love the tension of their marriage. It's so wonderful. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm like there, and I'm ready to like eliminate my uncle. I'm like, oh, you Christians think there's an absolute truth. Well, let me tell you, there's no absolute truth. And you can't even communicate truth with language, let alone alone talk about God. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I've studied postmodern philosophy, and I can just tell you that like, this whole Christian thing's ridiculous. All the people who don't know Jesus are all going to go to hell. Is that what you really think? And what about all the gay people? And what, look at what you've done to women. And look at all the rape and abuse in the church. And look at all the grief, 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 grief. You know? And he turns around to me and says, well, David, there's a few problems with what you're saying. I was like, oh, like what? Enlighten me, Christian. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> and he says, well, you just said there's no absolute truth. And that's an absolute truth. And you just communicated that with language. So you just doubly contradicted yourself. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> and I stormed theatrically out of the room and was like, well, I've won anyway because you're just all gonna be smashed by secular culture soon and you're all gonna die and we're gonna win and bye-bye <laughs> in the trash can of history. <laughs> um, <laughs> who knows that feeling as a Christian in our culture today? You're on the wrong side of history. You're just an old little discarded piece of garbage for the, the progressive world's going to come and take over. And look, there is trash in the church. <laughs> like, And praise God for the progressive movement that has highlighted it so we can be sanctified out of it. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for that side of it. But that horrible, like demonic, bitter destruction that's in that movement is not okay either. And it was something I was enslaved by because I didn't know the love of God, and I didn't know the truth of God together as one. But the love and truth of God is a person. It's not a concept in your head. It's not a law that's written on tablets. It's a person that Jesus died for so that we could receive and that the Father sends the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that the Holy Spirit is not an add-on. It is the gospel. Like, he is the gospel. So there I am. My uncle gets a word from the Holy Spirit that I'd be saved in three months' time. Three months later, I'm in a pub in central Sydney. A lovely girl is there, handpicked by God, looks like Audrey Hepburn,'s got red lipstick on, wears fabulous brooches, is perfectly handpicked for David Bennett to be evangelized. (laughs) And she's just, like, this famous filmmaker. She got her film into the largest short film competition in the world. And I go up, like, to see her. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Madeline, wow. And this conversation about how she, like, her her mentor was Baz Luhrmann, who who directed Strictly Ballroom. And how she just, at 19, she was just slaying (laughs) the film world. I'm like, how do you do this? So, well, do you want to? Know what the real answer is? Like, of course I do. Like, you're fabulous. (laughs) She's like, well, it was God. Oh, I'm surrounded by Christians, you know. (laughs) And um, there's my woke before woke was woke reaction, and uh, (laughs) and I and I said to her. Look, I'm gay, and I've read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and Romans 1, and all the things, and I'm pretty sure God's like, fine. You know, there's the bitterness, there's the self-rejection. Underneath sin is self-rejection. And we as a church have tried to battle sin with the law rather than minister to the deeper problem, which is self-rejection and alienation from God in the mystery of trying to understand human sexuality, because it's a mystery. I still don't really understand. But I know God has a purpose for why he's allowed different instantiations of desire. And he wants to bring special glories through each one of us. As we've experienced a certain kind of fall, he has a certain kind of glory that goes with that fall. Do you all hear what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You don't know what your fall might be. You don't get to choose that, but you get this incredible glory this incredible reward you get to be like Jesus and giving yourself to Him in a special way, and I feel like that as a celibate Christian that I have, a, we have a special glory to offer the church, and the church has a special glory that we need to be fully ourselves as well. It's not just one way. So anyway, she then says to me, oh, "Dave, I don't know. Yeah, that's a mystery. Whoa." <laughs> she didn't have the answer. She was just like but have you experienced the love of God? Like, and this just like got through everything. Anyway, she prayed for me and you can read about it in the book. I'm not gonna go into all the detail because I wanna talk about the rest of this message. But I had this experience with the Holy Spirit that he had set up this divine encounter for me because he knew I was gonna go through grief upon grief and I needed him. I needed the unquenchable flame of God's love within me to withstand what would come. And you can only see this with retrospect. I don't know what's coming in the future. We don't know what's coming in the future, but we know we've received that person and we know that we can withstand that moment, and we can let that grief go through us and not harm us, and we will be perfectly fine with the Holy Spirit. So this is a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, have you made that all too common mistake, a feeling that the Holy Spirit is only a divine influence in the world rather than a divine person? If you are to be an effective Christian, you must discard the idea that he is a divine influence in the world. He is a living person in whose very presence you are every minute. He is just as much a person as is God the Father or as, as is God the Son. He both hears and sees you in every word you speak and in every move you make. A full realization of this will mean a transformation in your life and Christian service. The Holy Spirit is not merely a something, but a divine someone. Once the truth of his personality and work are realized, there opens up to one a life of blessedness and power. And Charles Spurgeon said, I kiss the wave that crashes upon me. It's one of his favorite, favorite quotes about being formed in Christ. And I say, I kiss the wave that crashes through me. I think we need an emotional transformation in the church where when we experience grief, we don't see it as a mental illness. It's a sign of being a healthy person when something terrible happens and you're deprived of the good to feel profound grief. As a culture, we've made grief into a mental illness. And I'm not saying that there isn't mental illness involved, I'm not saying there isn't a really important side to this, which is for psychology and psychiatry, but there is this other side of the Christian gospel that embraces grief as something good and normal and part of our lives, that lament is the seedbed of hope, that the Holy Spirit as a person in us helps us transform our grief into something salvific rather than something deathly. And I don't know about you, I am so done when I go to a church and I feel like they act as if nothing's happened in the last three years. Have you felt that in some churches? It's like, let's just make sure we keep going like we did before. <laughs> and there's no space to just allow the grief of this moment to pass through us as the church to allow that hope then to arise in our hearts like the star from heaven that Jesus is who alights upon us from the holy spirit within us and i talked about this in the last service i love deliverance ministry and i love evangelism they're probably the scariest ministries for people <laughs> and i'm like hallelujah let's go you know <laughs> like let's get in there why Because in evangelism, you see someone who is completely dead inside and suddenly you look into their eyes and it's like, there's Jesus. I get to see the resurrected Jesus in that person and it is the most beautiful thing. Like romantic love's wonderful, (laughs) sure. And I'm not really living a life for that anymore. But now I get to look into people's eyes and see Jesus. That's better than romance, I'm telling you. Like romance is wonderful and I'm not called to it, but like maybe I will be later down the track. We'll see, maybe the Lord will find a lolly lady for me and he'll just give me this special desire. And it does happen to some people, but I'm not lacking anything because I get to see Jesus in everybody. I get to experience intimacy of the deepest kind. But without that intimacy, marriage falls apart. Celibacy falls apart. Why do I love demonic deliverance ministry? I'm just mentioning this this morning because it's one-third of Jesus' ministry and I don't care what people think. I care about Jesus, clearly. (laughs) And it's real. I have had that experience myself. And when someone is delivered from a principality and power or a hold on their life and you see Jesus again... (laughs) and it's like this moment where it's like we're going to be raised and it's real it's not a lie it has personal evidence to it in the person of the holy spirit so we're not living in evidenceless christianity we're seeing it every day of our lives as we lead this world to jesus and see him transform souls and bodies and minds we're not evidenceless we're not an irrational faith We see the actual effect of it in real time. And I was a Buddhist, and I was a New Age, -er, and I was a Wiccan, and I was a Reformed Jew for a week, and I never saw that. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, you know, fun time. Um, And so Jesus says, before Jesus is kind of brought into his ministry, what does John say? He says, Like, I'm unworthy to untie your sandals, right? Because you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we've been really good at majoring on that one. And I'm glad we have been. But he says something even, like, another part of that whole mystery. He says, and you, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Why do we flinch as the Western church when we hear that? Why are we not like, yes, he will? (laughs) Amen. Why do we have this hesitation with the Holy Spirit? I don't understand it. It makes no sense. We have so much life available. We have a whole divine person within us. And we just think, oh my gosh, the worship music, they made a mistake. Oh my gosh, the pastor fell over his feet. Oh my gosh. Get over yourself. You've got Holy Spirit living inside of you. We don't have time for this. Why are we stuck in this lifeless stuff? I'm so sick of it. I didn't get saved for this. Do you hear my frustration? Why are we stuck with unprocessed grief and abuse and all this like deathly culture in the church when we have the divine person of the Holy Spirit living in us? It's one of the reasons I struggle with faith. Sometimes, because I don't understand, Lord, how you're this glorious, and your people are half the size of a pea as a moral imagination. But you know why? Because he loves the least. He loves the one who doesn't get it, get it. He loves the one that's obsessed with the music not going right. He loves the one who has a little fleshly obsession about someone else's life who's judging them and looking at the big, you know, speck in their eye while they have a huge, a ginormous log coming right out that everyone else can see. He loves that person and he will keep chasing after them and he will make their, his church out of those people. And that's actually you and I. I would love to say I'm this exalted spiritual person that doesn't think that way, but I'm not, and you're not, but he gave you the Holy Spirit, so maybe it's time to let it go, church. Maybe it's time to radically love those communities that freak us out, (laughs) that might seem a bit weird to us and we don't understand. Maybe it's time to let go of the flesh and let the Spirit a blaze in our hearts. Let him baptize us afresh with Holy Spirit and fire. But I think the real issue goes deeper. I think the real issue is that our loves have not yet been crucified. And this is a part of grief: is that we have to let go of our configuration of love, our understanding of love is love, love is love is love, love is love is love. That doesn't mean anything. Like. What does that mean? <laughs> yes, love is love. Great. <laughs> like, what have you communicated? No, let the love is love be crucified in Jesus. And um, Ignatius of Antioch, a very early church father, says, my eros, my passionate love is crucified. And there are two aspects to this. Jesus, his actual beloved, is crucified. And he has to let that grief happen in him. And then the resurrection come forward. That happens to people is that we experience things that we see the crucifixion of Jesus and then we see the resurrection of Jesus and then that's happening within us to our own desires on the secondary level. Our desire has to die and be resurrected. My desire as a gay man had to be crucified and then resurrected. And I've just shared the resurrection with you. I get to see Jesus in the church. I get to see, you know, I couldn't understand that before. I needed my eros to be crucified. Augustine in Confessions says, um, percusisti cormeum verbo tuo, you beat up my heart with your word. We have to have that fleshly heart like removed and beaten up with the word and finally kind of lets go. And then this new fleshly heart that's responsive to the Holy Spirit, that craves to worship him on Sunday, that says, I don't care what my neighbor thinks, I'm gonna shout Amen. <laughs> it's gonna say, I'm gonna care what my neighbor thinks, I'm gonna get on my knees, I'm gonna like bow down, <laughs> do whatever I'm called to do in the spirit to glorify his name. Obviously, respectfully to those around you. <laughs> Teresa of said, you pierced my heart with your word, and I fell in love. I love that. And there's that holy exchange where he takes that dead heart that can't love and is fleshly and obsessed with all the politics and all the trying to be self-righteous, and he gives you a new heart. And then when you experience grief, that new heart can process it. In a healthy way, that becomes such a holy vocation of prayer, where lament becomes the seedbed of hope. So it says in Romans 8, 26 to 27: In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he searches our hearts, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So, I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like in that process of grief, there are like stones and there are challenges to really letting the grief go. And I'm almost holding on to it or I'm afraid of it and I, I can't process it. And in John seven thirty-eight, it says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And one of the beautiful works of the Holy Spirit is to dislodge all the debris You know, it could be you're watching porn, it could be that you've gossiped, it could be that you're like hating your brother or sister for some reason, it could be that you're envious and coveting someone's life. There's all the vice lists in Paul and scripture, I don't need to tell you the vices, we all know them. (laughs) But it could be those things are happening because you have a blockage. You haven't processed your pain and so you're going to some other comfort to try to resolve it. And this river of living water pushes through and dislodges and removes that so that there can be a continual healthy flow of life that like ministers and is like medicine to your soul and keeps you from fleshly vices that will destroy your life. And that is the life of the saint. It isn't that we do it, it's that he flows in us and we participate with that flow. I don't know if you've ever put your hands up or just prayed and you feel the fire or the water or the oil or the wind in yourself of the person of the Holy Spirit. Such a beautiful ministry he has in us. I just love it. I just am addicted. I'm like, go more and more and more. Never stop. (laughs) Like this holy obsession that you start to have when you know this reality and it realizes itself in your life. St. Basil the Great says, the love of God is not something that can be taught. We do not learn it from someone else. How do we rejoice in light or want to live or love our parents or guardians? It is the same, perhaps even more so, with our love for God. It does not come by another's teaching. There's no human that can teach you to to love God. The Holy Spirit is the person within you who will cause you to love him who will resurrect your old Eros into an Eros for God that's so powerful that your whole life will be transformed and everyone will see Jesus because you just want to be one with him like feel like evangelism is just sharing who you're in love with that's all it is it's not proselytizing it's not trying to force someone to believe something you believe it's just sharing your love With your neighbor and not forcing them, they don't have to take it. Like if I'm married to someone, I'm gonna be like, my husband is amazing, my wife is amazing, my you know, (laughs) they'll know about it just naturally. And then eventually they might be like, I want that. How do I get that relationship? And then they come to church. And as a church, wouldn't that be amazing if you did that once a week? Just mentioned him, mentioned your love for him, and someone might just take that bait and come and you catch a fish and then they go and share it, and then it just spreads. That's all it is. It's not hard. It's like the pressure's off. (laughs) The grief is being processed. Holy Spirit has got it. (laughs) And Pope Benedict, sorry, I'm taking a bit more time, but I just feel it. Pope Benedict says that eros, is unstable by itself, but when agape touches eros, it ennobles it and brings it into the divine life of God, and there's one fusing of the holy love of God that cannot be stopped. It's the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Yes, it's reckless because it's this power of eros, and it's this purity of agape, and it cannot be stopped. I mean, you know, reckless We use these words because we can't express it. It's inexpressible. It goes beyond. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit, or do not put out the fire of that love that is the Holy Spirit. Let it burn in you. Let it be seen in you. Let it help you process the things that are blocking Jesus from being seen in you. So I'm just gonna take a moment to pray for our grief to be processed with the Holy Spirit this morning in this Eucharist and in our time of worship. And I'm just going to take a minute for you to bring up the griefs, to bring up the rubble you might detect or even that you can't identify but you feel is there, and for God to come with his Holy Spirit, with the water, with the fire, to renew you and to renew your witness And also, if you've never met Jesus, and this is all different for you, and this is your first time at church or something like that, maybe just be open to experiencing the Holy Spirit this morning as I pray. So I'm just going to take a minute of silence, and then I'll pray. Holy Spirit, just come in this place. Holy Spirit, come upon every heart and every life. I just invite you, Jesus, to send your Holy Spirit, Father, to reveal your love this morning. And Lord, where there's grief, I pray you would bring it up in the Eucharist in this worship and help people to let the grief pass through them and not crash upon them. And Lord, that you would make this church into a mighty witness for your name that's quickened by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.